Thank you, Marcia, for leading us in worship today. Appreciate you filling in for Aaron, but uh, what a good day it is. I have always said, Parkway, when people ask about our age groupings and those kind of thing, I say we are a diverse group. Twelve people over 90, and uh, several of them here today, and we appreciate this group. We appreciate your loyalty. We appreciate your example. We are thankful for you. Many of you, some are charter members uh, that are now in their 90s, 50 years. We're celebrating our 50 50th year this year, now through September 20th, I guess, of this year. We continue to do that, so we appreciate you. Many of these helped to raise me up when my first church out of seminary was Parkway Baptist Church. Some of you know, some of you don't, but 20, 30 years ago now and that I came to Parkway. And uh, that took them some time to forget some things and let me come back, but I appreciate it. And uh, they've allowed me to do that and appreciate the example that you always have been. And now to our youngest of our youngest kids coming. And uh, we appreciate them being a part of our worship today. How nice it is to, and I appreciate our leaders, of course, from our staff, the volunteers that have come. It takes a lot to be able to get this many kids up here ringing bells and uh, singing. I think they're going to call his kids choirs. I think we're going to change it to his kids' choirs, bells, and dance troupe, maybe. But uh, they did a great job, all in praise of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we appreciate them. And appreciate the fact that they were willing to overcome obstacles to getting back together and be able to do this. And so, so they're coming back, you realize, and we're still coming back. And we appreciate that, certainly, as well. There was a preacher who was walking down the street. And uh, he, as he did, he came across a young group of boys that were surrounding an old stray dog. And he's actually worried that these boys, 10 or 12 years of age, were going to hurt the dog. So he kind of comes up to him and said, hey, uh, uh, how, how, what's going on? And are y'all not going to hurt that dog, are you? And he said, oh, no, preacher. He said, uh, we found this old stray dog, and we all want to take him home, but we can't decide who gets to take the dog home. So we have decided whoever tells the biggest lie is able to take the dog home. Well, you can imagine the preacher said, listen, boys, you all not be telling lies. And Bible says lying's a sin. And he went about a 10-minute sermon about telling the truth, not telling lies. He said, why, boys, when I was your age, I never told a lie. Well, the boys all went silent. They kind of looked down. And just when the preacher think he's getting through to them, the youngest one looks up and said, okay, preacher gets the dog. I get to do one of my favorite things today ever, and that is to be able to tell you a Bible story. Do you know about the Gibeonites? Gibeonites are found in Joshua chapters 9 and 10. I'd love for you to go find those verses if you would. But the Gibeonites tell one of the biggest lies ever in the Old Testament. We're going to be able to take a look at this passage today so that we might be able to understand lessons that we make and learn from the Gibeonites. Now, they understand they didn't do everything right, but we're also going to be able to learn from Joshua and the Israelites. And I, don't, I want you to be able to remember the Gibeonites and the things that happened. I don't want you to just be able to remember the story or just when you hear their name. But as we leave today, I want you to be able to use the lessons that can be learned from this story so that we might be able to make wise and good choices today. Now, this story is not a bedtime story, so you want to stay alert and you will want to participate in the story. You want to even anticipate what lessons there are for a New Testament Bible-believing Jesus lover like you. I'm going to warn you, it's at least PG or if not a little bit of PG-13 when it comes to talking about uh, deceit and lies and violence. And, and as I tell you the story, we're going to pause long enough to read some of the verses 
in chapters 9 and 10. I'm going to tell them the story because there are a lot of verses here, but we're going to look at a few of the verses as well as what Jesus says and see what lessons we can learn along the way. Now, I want to warn you, there's some lessons, there's several lessons that we can learn, but there's a bigger picture here. We never want to forget the big picture. And so there's a big picture here, our main point that we're going to take a look at, and you want to be able to find that and discover that. I'm, and if you stay, pay attention, you won't miss it. But Joshua is the leader of the Israelite people as they're following God's plan of taking possession of the promised land, what we're calling the holy land today. Now, Moses, before Joshua, Moses had been told by God to come and take possession of the land. And Moses, of course, told the people they're going to come in, they're going to conquer the land. And they're going to destroy all of the people that are there living in the promised land. There's a couple of reasons for that. We may not understand them all, but one of those is uh, because they were not to be influenced by the idol worship and all the people who are living. But also, Israelites are being used at this time as carrying out God's judgment on a very, very wicked people that were living in the, in the land. Now, over the last few weeks, we've talked about the victories God had given over Jericho. You might remember, and also we talked about the defeat and the victory over the city of Ai. The first two cities the Israelites faced were decisive victories when they did things God's way. Now, word about the Israelites' victories had spread wide. Many of the people living in the land there in the land of Canaan or the Holy Land, who usually were not friendly toward one another. They were beginning to unite together in order that they might fight against the Israelites. And so they were preparing to do that very thing. But there was one group who had a different approach. In fact, a way to trick Joshua and the Israelites into letting them live. Now the Israelites, they are camped at a city called Gilgal. And the city of Gibeon was about 25 miles away, but the Gibeonites sent a delegation that were dressed in old clothes and threw dirt and dust on themselves as if they had been on a long journey. They got moldy bread and food and put in their old torn sacks and on their camels, and they came riding up to the Israelite camp, and they tell Joshua, hey, we're not from around here. We've come from a long, long way, and we've heard about you. We've heard about your God on the other side of the Jordan River. Look at our old clothes. Look at the bread that we had. It was warm out of the oven when we start, but now it's just crumbs and moldy. Our wineskins and our sacks were new. They're old and cracked now. Our sandals are threadbare. I mean, the Gibeonites, who only live 25 miles away, they're laying it on pretty thick. Well, Joshua even asked, well, how do we know you're not from around here? And, uh, hey, who are you? Where are you from? And the, their answers were vague, and they said, oh, we're from a long, long away. away. And, and they went as far as saying, we've heard so many things about your God and about when your people were, God got you out of Egypt, and we heard about the battles on the other side of the Jordan River, and the decisive victories that you had. They were sure not to say anything about any of the battles that had taken place locally or about recent battles. And they said, we're here because of your God, and we want to make a treaty with you. We want to be your allies. Promise that you'll not harm us and we'll be your servants. Well, Joshua and the leaders of Israel looked over the evidence and they accepted it as truth and they made a treaty with the Gibeonites. But Joshua forgot something that was very, very important. And so that we might be able to understand, it's very clear what he did not do. If you've got your Bibles open, verses might also be on the screen. Joshua chapter 9, verses 14 and 15 says this. 
It says, so the men took some of their provisions, but did not ask counsel from the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live, and the leaders of the congregation swore to them. Joshua made a treaty and a promise. Three days later, Joshua discovers the Gibeonites have lied. They've deceived the Israelites. They live just a few miles away. The Gibeonites had lied. They'd even blasphemed and used the name of God to further their trick on the Israelites. But the real problem and the lesson learned was Joshua had not consulted God before making the treaty. So let's, let's say it like this if you've got your notes. God first, not the last resort. Oh, wouldn't it be things be better if we remembered that? God first, not the last resort. Church, as we go forward, we're talking about moving forward. We're using the, uh, these lessons from Joshua, how we might be able to move forward uh, with the Lord and our walk with Him. But let us not do anything without seeking further counsel from God. Let's be sure that everything is bathed in prayer. What does the Bible say, particularly in the New Testament? Worry about nothing, pray about everything, pray without ceasing, bring all your petitions to God. Don't make consulting God your last choice, but make it your first choice. Now, we've talked some in the past about important decisions that we need to make and take to God. I mean, of course, the most important decision is that decision of salvation. And it's our prayer today, if someone does not know Christ, that today that they may begin to have a relationship with Jesus. But there are other important decisions, whether they have to do with job or marriage or career or education, house to buy. Do you think these decisions and choices are important enough to consult God? I would think surely that you would. Well, there's everyday decisions. Maybe those things that are not so important but could have an impact, which we need to consult about God. Even those things which we think are a no-brainer. Why not make a treaty with the Gibeonites? They're not from around here. In fact, Moses said it's good and okay to make treaty with anybody not living in the promised land and make a treaty with others so that you might be able to have peace. Moses even said that kind of thing. Well, here's the thing for us. We must trust God not only for the answer, but how God is going to give the answer. It, it seems as if, as we read this, often God spoke to Joshua and he may have even spoken an audible voice. Now, I've talked to people who said they heard God in an audible voice, but most of us, if we all suddenly heard God speak out loud, we would have a heart attack. So it seems he had some advantage, but I want to tell you today, we have, may have more advantage than Joshua did. Joshua did not have the full Old Testament. He didn't have the New Testament. We live on this side of the cross. He had not known or heard about that universal impact of the fact that Jesus died on the cross and rose again and has ascended to heaven and we know that he's alive today and offers life. He had not had all the advantage of these things, so in ways we may have more advantage than Joshua, but still we must trust God to give us his answer and we may not always know how he's going to answer. Now sometimes he uses events and circumstances, but these must be in line with God's word. Sometimes we must trust God that He's going to give us a confidence and a peace that we are doing the right thing after we have sought His face. Now, why do you think it's not always easy to know the right thing to do? Or why do you think it's not always immediately known that this is God's will and I know exactly what it is that I need to do and how I need to follow God in this particular situation? Could it be that if we got an immediate answer 
then we would only consult God when we needed Him and far less frequently. Because often how God is answering us or letting us know it is that He is wanting us to spend time with Him. Now the Gibeonites had lied about who they were and where they lived. Joshua made a treaty with them. But that's not the end of the story. Three days later, Israel traveled to the city of Gibeon, four other cities in which the Gibeonites lived, and there they find the people in whom they had made the treaty and they promised that they would not harm. Chapter 9 and verse 18 says this. It tells us what they did or really what they did not do. It says, But the people of Israel did not attack them because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord the God of Israel. Then all the congregation murmured against the leaders. So here's another lesson. Integrity always, regardless of what others do. Integrity always, regardless of what others do. After all, who would have blamed them if they'd attacked the cities of the Gibeonites? They lied. The treaty and the promise that they had, it was based on, uh, based on a lie. Most people, maybe even most courts, would have considered any written or verbal a contract based on untruths as null and void. But Joshua, the leaders of Israel, kept their word even when others did not. On top of that, the community of Israel, they murmured, they, they thought it was wrong not to attack. It says they, the whole community grumbled against their leaders. Now your enemies have lied. Your own people are telling you not to keep your word. So the temptation to not keep your word or to be like everybody else has got to be great. Well, what would you do? Well, that's the question we face every day. Will we be people of integrity? I want to encourage you. Even if you lose everything else, no matter what else happened, be a person of integrity. Never lose your integrity, no matter what other people think. No matter what other people are doing, don't lose your integrity. Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. If it's true, world's getting worse. Uh, immorality, dishonesty is on the rise. Things seem to be really dark in the world in which we live. If that's true, this, this has to be the light that comes shining through the darkness. The integrity and the truth of God's people. We have a, we have a truth about Jesus that we want people to share. We want them to know that there's hope in this world. There's light in this world. But oh, if God's people have sold out their integrity, even for white lies and half-truths, those things will not be heard. If the church is full of people who cannot be trusted, who will listen? Oh, I'm thankful for we have a church. I believe we are filled with people of integrity. While the first lesson is about something Joshua did wrong, he did not consult God. The second lesson is about what he and the leaders did right. Integrity always. They did not harm the Gibeonites. But that's not the end of the story. Leaders of the community uh, uh, of Israelites who were complaining because they kept their word and did not attack. People were complaining about the leaders. And they told them they had sworn an oath. They promised them that they would keep their word. So verse 20 says, again of chapter 9, it says, This we will do to them, let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath we swore to them. Now, the Bible doesn't say how the community of the Israelites took that explanation because they said, we do not want the wrath of God on us. But they lived with it. They probably did more than that. 
because of what's going to take place next. So their explanation really made a difference. So here's what you and I need to do. Be ready with an answer pointing to Jesus. Be ready with an answer that points to Jesus. They told them the reason was that so no wrath would fall upon us. What's the opposite of the wrath of God? Well, could it be reward? Or maybe being in God's pleasure? If, if people want to know why you are the person you are or why you act the way that you do or why you're kind, compassionate, a person of integrity, be ready to tell them. It's because of Jesus and I want to make God happy. Living on this side of the cross, if we're believers and part of God's family, we no longer worry about the wrath of God. Jesus took judgment, our judgment, we took it upon the cross. But because of what Christ did for us, oh, how we want to make God happy. Oh, how we want to do what He says so, we don't, so that we might be able, to, be able to point others to Jesus. Well, the leaders explained why they would let them live. They're not going to attack them and let them live. But that's not the end of the story. The Gibeonites would be allowed to live, but they, they would be cursed. They'd have to do some things and become woodcutters and water carriers. And Joshua summoned the Gibeonites, and they didn't even ask them why they'd pull off such a deception and say they lived far away when in fact they were the neighbors. And the Gibeonites said that it had been reported to them that the Lord your God commanded Moses and gave the land to Israel as they were to take the land and des destroy all the ones who were living in it. They'd done their homework. In fact, chapter 9 and verse 24 and 25, verse 24 says this. We, he says, we feared for our very lives because of you. That's why we did this. In verse 25, it says, now we're in your hands. So you do to us, Gibeonites are telling Joshua and the Israelites, you do to us whatever you think is good and right. Well, their plan worked. Even when they were found out, they were not destroyed. Joshua made them wood carriers and water, wood cutters and water carriers for the community and for the house of God. And it was a curse, but it was also a blessing. Wood cutters and water carriers were menial tasks, but they were allowed to live. They would be among God's people, and they were going to learn about Israel's God. They carried wood for the sacrifice, they carried water for the ceremony cleansing at the tabernacle. What do you think? Was their punishment too severe or not severe enough? All the inhabitants of the land were be destroyed, but we know there were exceptions. Joshua chapter 2, there was Rahab who lived in the land there, but she and her family were able to be saved. The Gibeonites deceived God's people, and they were saved from destruction. They get to carry water and wood to worship. You remember what the psalmist said? I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Well, why is that? I want you to see in this story evidence of God's grace. Sometimes to people who do not deserve it. Now, wait a minute. If you deserve it, it's really not grace, is it? I want you to see it's because there are Gibeonite people amongst us and Gibeonite people. There are people who are outside the kingdom who, according to Jesus at this present moment, are condemned to, to destruction. Jesus said in John chapter 3 and verse 18, anyone who does not believe is already condemned. So the Gibeonites of today may have some knowledge of the Bible, may even know about Jesus, 
but have yet to repent of sin and trade it all for a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know if it was Joshua's idea or that he got it from God. I'm pretty sure it was the Lord's idea. But by being woodcutters and water carriers to the people and for their worship, they were being exposed to the greatest news the world has ever known. And that is that God cares for you and wants to have a relationship. Did they deserve to know the truth? How many times have you read the Bible that you've got to come to be able to understand? It deserves got nothing to do with it. But I want to tell you today that if you don't know Jesus Christ, you're here today or somebody's listening, you don't have Christ as your Lord and Savior, don't know Him, it will not be because you deserve it, but it'll simply be because of His unconditional love that He invites you to become part of the family of God by putting your faith in the Lord Jesus and asking Him to forgive you of your sins. But I want you to do this. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, the lesson is for us. Embrace and engage the Gibeonites. You mean people who lie? Yeah, and people who steal and kill and cheat and folks who are involved in alcohol and drug abuse and Republicans and Democrats and even those people who are great neighbors and good workers and friends at school who are still sinners but need Jesus. When we ask you to pray and tell and invite lost people, so many of us sometimes say, well, I don't really know that many lost people. Well, pay attention. Because even if you're not looking for them one day... A Gibeonite is going to come riding up to you on a camel and telling you a pack of lies, or maybe they'll be smoking a pack of camels and telling you the truth. But they will need Jesus. And you may think to yourself, is this the one? Is this the one that needs to engage with somebody who needs to know Jesus? I still believe God gives every believer opportunities to be able to embrace a gauge a Gibeonite. A pastor in a large city told uh, his church, he said, uh, he said, I and some other leaders, we're going we're gonna to try something, kind of an experiment. We're going to have a Saturday night worship service. Uh, we'll call it Saturday Night Live, and we're going to invite homeless uh, street people and prostitutes to come and be a part of this Saturday night worship service. He told a, told a Sunday morning congregation, he said, you don't need to come. You're not going to like it. You're going to be uncomfortable when you come. And, and I said, I'm not really, you won't like the music. And I'm not really going to preach a sermon. I'm going to talk about 10 minutes about Jesus. I'm going to pass out cards and have everybody put their name and a question on a card. And, and I'm just going to read the cards and answer the questions. That's what we're going to do. And uh, so he started this several weeks. They did this. And he noticed three of the older ladies sitting up in the balcony every Saturday night coming and being a part of that. And finally, after a few weeks, he asked him, said, I've noticed you've been coming. And said, you know, I didn't think it's the kind of thing that you would like. And they said, well, well, preacher, we, we come because of the questions. And I said, he said, the question, well, the questions they ask, you've been in church all your life, you know the answer to these questions. And they said, well, okay, it's not really the questions, but whenever you say the questions, you always say the name of the person who wrote the question. We write it down and we pray all night for their salvation. You know, there might be some in here who might want to show up in a contemporary service at Parkway Baptist Church. And you might want to come just so that you might be able to see, like you saw this morning with our children, just might see other members of your church worshiping. We have guests. We always have guests in early service. Hey, we always have guests in our later service, more in our later service. But it might be you want to show up sometime and just pray that people either get closer to Jesus or that some of those who may come who don't know Jesus 
might come to know him as well. The Gibeonites became woodcutters and water carriers and became exposed to the God of Israel and his people. But that's not the end of the story. The king of Jerusalem heard about the Gibeonites. Now this is before Jerusalem became the city of David and it was ruled by a pagan king. He gathered up four other kings and the five kings set out to attack the city of Gibeon because they'd made peace with Israel. And the people of Gibeon sent word out to Joshua, come help us. Don't abandon your servants. The five kings are attacking us. So Joshua gets his entire army, all of his fighting men, and they march through the night from Gilgal, their camp, the 25 miles to Gibeon to fight for the Gibeonites. Now let's pause for just a moment because this had to be an odd moment for Joshua and the Israelites. I mean, the Gibeonites were their enemy. And now through deceit and lies, they become their servants. They'd have been engaged with their people and now they're conducting an all-night march to fight for the Gibeonites. At some point, there had to be some doubts about it. Are we sure that we're doing the right thing here? I, I know that Joshua probably had some doubts because God spoke to him very clearly somewhere between Gilgal and Gibeon. Chapter 10 and verse 8 is the verse that helps us with that. And the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear them, speaking of the five kings that they were about to attack. Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hand. Not a, man of them, not a man of them shall stand before you. Now, the truth be known, during this whole episode with the Gibeonites, at least as far as we can tell, God had not spoken a direct word one way or the other. And then at long last, just before Israel goes to fight an important battle, God speaks. You know, it's kind of like one of those Rocky movies. You know, Rocky, it's either two, three, or four, and I think Rocky's supposed to fight Mr. T and Adrian's in a coma. Sounds pretty dramatic, doesn't it? And Rocky doesn't know, am I supposed to fight? I'm going to stay here with Adrian. I'm not going to fight what he's going to. Then suddenly, Adrian wakes up from the coma, and I think the first words are out of her mouth were, win, or go get them, Rocky, or something. Okay, maybe it has nothing to do with that at all. But if it was unclear before... Now it is clear they're supposed to fight this battle and they will be victorious. Here's the lesson about doubting and how to deal with that which is unclear. Obedience is the cure for doubting. Obedience is the cure for doubting. If you're on a journey with Jesus, doubting is likely to be a part of the journey at some point in some time. Every now and then I run into somebody and they say that, uh, well, if you're a Christian, you're not going to have doubt. Doubting's a sin. If you doubt, you must not be a believer. And then I have more doubts, mostly about them, you understand. But it's not whether you're going to have doubts or not. It's what you're going to do with those doubts. If you're obedient to what God says, to God's Word, stay obedient and seek God, and the doubts will subside. Confidence in Jesus will be the victory. We're not going to be perfect. We're never going to be perfect in our obedience. But you seek to follow the Lord closer and closer every day. Watch those doubts fade away. Now the Israelites were victorious in their battle with the five kings. And because of this, the episode with the Gibeonites and fighting for them, Israel now controls all of the southern nation of Judah. Half of the promised land was now theirs. But guess what? That's not the end of the story. For it was not just the victory, but it was in how God gave the victory as they 
certainly surprised the five kings and all of their, their warriors. And then there came along a hailstorm. So great was the hailstorm that it says, you've heard the story, I know, that it says that God was throwing the stones down from heaven and more people, more of the enemy died by hailstorms than by the sword. But that's not all. Joshua asked God to stop the sun and the moon so that the battle could be finished and decisive. Chapter 10 and verses 13 and 14. First verse 13, it says, So the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed its setting almost a full day. And then verse 14 of chapter 10, it says, There's, never, there's not, not been a day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of the man, for the Lord fought for Israel. There's a story from about NASA scientists and uh, NASA engineers who in Greenbelt, Maryland, they were checking the position of the sun, moon, and the planets past and present, where they were. 100 years, 1,000 years, 2,000 years in the past, 100 years, 1,000 years, 2,000 years in the future. And the computers they were using as they were checking the past suddenly came to a stop. And it was data showed that something was missing. One of the NASA scientists remembered the story of the Gibeonites from Sunday school. In fact, they went and looked it up, supposedly. Looked 23 hours and 20 minutes were missing. And so the NASA engineers, however they do that, they plugged that into the data and the computer went on and discovered exactly what it looked like, what the sun, moon, planets looked like, you know, thousands of years ago, what they supposed to look like thousand years in the future. Now, is it just a story? Or do you believe it all is true? Well, if you believe it all to be true, then it might remind you of another story when the sun stopped shining for three hours while Jesus hung on the cross. And on that very day, not very far from this very battle in Joshua, there in the city of Jerusalem, Jesus, the Son of God, took our sins to the cross and won the greatest battle, the battle over sin and death. He took our place on the cross and He died on our behalf. And three days later, He rose again. This battle, this battle that we're talking about in Joshua and all that we read in the Old Testament, they were precursors, they were preparations for Jesus' decisive victory. This is part of the bigger picture. This is part of what you need to see, what you are to be a part of. You're You're invited to participate in the greatest story ever told. And when Jesus died on the cross, we know that's not not the end of the story either. He rose again. He lives today, and He's coming again. But that's still not the end of the story in Joshua. Five kings escaped, and they find themselves... Five kings represent the enemy. They're hiding in a cave. And Joshua says, seal the cave until I can get there. And when Joshua arrives, he says, open up the cave and bring out the five kings. Then he tells all the commanders of Israel's armies to come forward, put their feet on the necks of the king. And he says this in a dramatic fashion. I want you to look at chapter 10 and verse 25 because I don't want you to... I'm not going to be able to tell you the emphasis that needs to be at this particular point. So I want you to be able to see it. Chapter 10 and verse 25, it says, And Joshua said to them, Do not be afraid or dismayed. Be strong and courageous. 
For, the lust, for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. Now remember, our enemies are not flesh and blood, but the principalities and powers of this world. Our enemies include sin, Satan, death, and sometimes self. There are things that are part of the enemy like pride and selfishness and greed and anger and lust and depression, discouragement, strife, jealousy, and hate. And only in Jesus is the victory. And just as sure as Joshua returned and destroyed the five kings, so Jesus will return. And all enemies will be destroyed for all time and forever. Is that the end of the story? <laughs> Not really. Because descendants of the Gibeonites continue to live with Israel. In fact, they're mentioned of those who are exiled from Israel to Babylon, and then they're even part of the people who come back in the book of Nehemiah and help to rebuild the wall and serve God. So what's the last lesson? Never give up. Never lose heart. It's what all this has been building to. It's what I want to tell you today. Keep on keeping on. Keep putting God first. Integrity always in everything. Always be ready to give an answer to why you do what you do. Engage the Gibeonites at every turn. Live with confidence every day as you're being obedient to Jesus. New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1 says this, Therefore, since we have this ministry, because we were shown mercy, we do not give up. No matter the pandemic, no matter the political climate, no matter what's popular, no matter our personal struggles, we never give up following Jesus and living for Him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you much for your presence here today. We thank you for all that's taken place. We thank you, Father, for our senior adults and thank you for their example. We thank you for our children, another generation coming along. And we pray, Father, that we'll be the church that helps all to be able to grow in Christ and find their place serving you. We thank you for your word today and how it continues to speak to us. And we pray, Father, to build an excitement in us about who you are and what you, what you are doing around us, inside us, and amongst us. We pray, Father, that we truly may not give up but continue to follow Jesus each and every day, no matter what we face, no matter what's happening in the world. Help us to be a light that others might be able to see Jesus in us and help us to always point to you. We also pray, Father, as we've said, if there's one here that does not know you today, one that's listening, who does not know for sure they have Christ in the heart and a home in heaven, Father, we pray that they'll will make that concrete today by praying a prayer of sincerity, asking Christ to be Savior and Lord, asking for forgiveness of sin. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of your great work. It's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen.